Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. I'm Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. Thank you for listening. And if this is your first time as a listener, I encourage you to not only check out my podcast, but also my webpage, uh, where I've over 3,700 written reviews, Quipster.net. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Also, if you happen to be, uh, if you enjoy the show that you're about to hear today, I encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to click the subscribe button. It's my understanding that I have over about 130 plus, uh, podcast episodes so far. Um, all of them were recorded over the last few months. And, um, it's my understanding that you only see like about 50 of them if you don't subscribe, but if you do subscribe, you'll see all of them. So if you are interested in hearing some of the, uh, films that I've reviewed earlier this year, um, I encourage you to click the subscribe button. Uh, not only will you get all of my future reviews, but also you'll be able to see all of my former reviews as well. So you can listen to whenever you'd like and download them. Um, in the heart of the seas, the film I'm going to be reviewing today, it's an adventure film, um, maybe a, a historical drama in certain respects. There's some action scenes and some thrills as well. PG 13 is the rating. Uh, it has intense sequences of action and peril, brief, startling violence and thematic material. Two hours and one minute is the runtime. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is the star and supporting roles go to Brendan Gleeson, Benjamin Walker, Tom Holland, Ben Wishaw, Killian Murphy, and Michelle Fairley. Ron Howard is the director, and the screenplay is by Charles Levitt. Levitt is adapting the uh, historical novel of the same name by Nathaniel Philbrick. Uh, Philbrick's novel, In the Heart of the Sea, The Tragedy of the Whale Ship Essex, was published in the year 2000, and it relates the story of a New England whaling ship known as the Essex, which in the year 1820 met with disaster when it was trying to take down a massive white sperm whale. The, uh, the events of the Essex were most notable as the inspiration for author Herman Melville to write his most famous of books, 1851's Moby Dick. The main story within Ron Howard's film is framed by, I guess, fictional scenes of Herman Melville visiting the Nantucket home of Tom Nickerson. Nickerson is the last surviving uh, member of the voyage of the Essex and Melville wants to get, wants to write a book based on the, uh, incidents of the Essex and, but Nickerson is beyond reluctant to recount what happened because there's, he's clearly still traumatized by his experience and deems what happened there to be unspeakable. Now Melville is very persistent and with the ins insistence of Nickerson's wife and a tidy sum of money and enough liquor to help them both get through it, uh, those are ultimately enough to get Nickerson to open up and tell his story for the first time in his life to anyone else. In uh, As he tells the story, we flash back to events of 1820, in which Nickerson is now played as a young cabin boy by actor Tom Holland. Now, Nickerson in, in his older form is played by Brendan Gleeson, and Gleeson is 60 years old. And if you do your math, 1820 is when the events of the Essex happened. He's interviewed in 1850 by uh, Herman Melville, which means that, you know, if if, if Tom Holland is about uh, in his early teens uh, when playing Nickerson in uh, the bulk of the movie, that means that Brendan Gleeson is supposed to be playing a man in his early 40s, which is ridiculous. Um, and given that, you know, Brendan Gleeson looks much older than that, he's 60 years old, 60 years old in real life, but uh, it just doesn't wash. <laughs> um, now. Nickerson is relating the story of how the Essex first mate, Owen Chase, 
uh, who's played by Chris Hemsworth. He's a, he's a seasoned seaman worthy of being captain, but who had to settle for being second in command for one more adventure, uh, due to being of, I guess, low birth. He was the son of a farmer, uh, and at least as compared to the relatively less experienced actual captain of the Essex, George Pollard, who is inexperienced, but he comes from a privileged family of naval adventurers, and so therefore he automatically gets put in charge now. Uh, as you, the, the film actually kind of opens with, uh, with, uh, Owen Chase actually being, uh, talking to the owners of the company that want them to go out whaling. And see, all of this is not privy to Nickerson's experience, so I don't understand how he relates this story, given that, you know, how does he know the events of what happened before he joined, uh, the Essex? Because, uh, and, and led up to his actual participation because, over the many years, he's never wanted to relive or discuss what he did with anyone. Uh, so how does he know all of the backstory? And uh, that's just one of the many problems, I think, with this needless narrative framing device, other than the fact that it never actually happened. Anyway, getting back to the story, the, the mission of the Essex is to venture out and bring back 2,000 barrels of whale oil. But uh, Holland, uh, excuse me, Pollard, as the... Uh, as the captain is clearly over his head in command of the ship. He gets very little help from Chase after chiding him for his social status persistently because Pollard uh, wanted to assert his uh, his ability as captain and needed to clip the much more experienced Chase from being uh, the darling of everybody on board. He wanted to be in command, and so he therefore had to knock Chase down a few pegs, especially uh, deriding him for his social status and, and being a... a of low birth, basically, or being a landsman because his family were farmers and not seamen. Uh, now, calamities abound while they're out there, but uh, these men are stubbornly refusing to come back without their full shipment of whale oil, and that sends them off. Uh, many, you know, they thought they would only be out there for a year, and uh, continuing on their adventures, they continue to sail to the whale rich waters of the southern Pacific Ocean where they encounter. A rumored 100-foot whale thought to be too massive for any whaling vessel to take down. But because this would be a big boon to getting the amount of oil that they need, they decide they're going to be the ones to do it. What happens after that, I re won't really relate because there's not a lot to the story. In fact, if you watch the trailer, you're going to get pretty much the whole story anyway. But um, because... There are a few surprises, some of which wouldn't make for good marketing anyway. Um, some of that is kept out of the trailer, so I'm not going to relate them here. But um, And I don't want to ruin the entire adventure for you if you haven't heard of it. So I'm going to uh, to end my synopsis there. Uh, In the Heart of the Sea, as a movie, I think it's, it's going to likely be more remembered for having some impressive design and technical elements to it. You know, it's a beautifully constructed film, at least visually, and it has a very comfortable marriage of um, obvious CGI elements and real-life elements, um, but I think that it works well together. Uh, the use of green screening in the film is a little bit more evident, I think, more than I, you would probably like in this, but um, it does still look visually appealing, especially if you see it in 3D. But for all of the effort involved in the actual technical making of the film, uh, to, to getting that right look and the and the feel of of these, there's really nice costume work. There's good sets. There's there's quality effects, but there's just 
as as a story, there's something just so artless about the way that Ron Howard, as the director, presents this tale. It's it's really presented in a straightforward fashion, and it lacks something like a a, a thematic subtext that makes Melville's spin of the actual story in Moby Dick so resonant and challenging and has enthralled many generations of readers. And most people know what Moby Dick is, even if they haven't read the story for its metaphorical qualities. And there's just something that has resonated with people over time. Um, as for the actual story, there really isn't much of a buildup to ratchet up tension. It's As we watch it, it's basically just a series of events, many of them calamitous. Uh, we get massive storms. We get these enormous whales that they have to take down. And ultimately, we get to the reasons why Nickerson finds his uh, having to relate the story to be uh, difficult for so many years. And even then, uh, it's presented without that re requisite sense of dread and fear that I think would have made what we're about to uh, watch so gripping. It doesn't really even have a basic semblance of gravity. We just watch this collection of really well-rendered um, um, scenes of d death and destruction, and it just doesn't... It, you watch it, you admire it for its visual appeal, and yet there's something that it never really gets gets you right into the heart of the story. For all of the visual splendor of In the Heart of the Sea, I think where it ventures into proverbial choppy waters is in its story elements. They're, they're just so straightforward, and they're not especially compelling, and I think they're only notable for being the seed of inspiration from one of the, for one of the great narrative works of adventure ever written in the English language by Herman Melville. And now Melville himself knew well enough that only some of the elements in the actual account leads well, uh, lends well to good storytelling, so I think it's a, a bit curious as to why Ron Howard and uh, Charles Levitt would spend so much uh, time and money and effort to bringing the original less satisfying, at least for mass audience appeal, to bringing that story to the big screen when Moby Dick, at, you know, Herman Melville's story, hasn't had a notable adaptation to the big screen since John Huston did it back in 1956. And that film, I think that most filmgoers today won't have even heard of, much less even seen. So other than this, it's, I think the problems with the story is, it's hard to sympathize with the whalers because they're only out there to kill as many of these whales. They're, and they're shown to be a magnificent and intelligent and completely harmless creatures. And they're out to kill them, to slaughter them, to harpoon them and gut them and, and squeeze out their oil. And in order to bring wealth to businessmen back home who have absolutely no regard for anything other than they're filling their own pockets with money. So, you know, they're, how are you supposed to root them on as protagonists when you feel much more sorry for the whales and you really end up kind of despising these whalers when you're hoping that these men, these whalers will be unsuccessful and you might even deep down be hoping that they suffer a tragic fate themselves for what they're doing in the pursuit of riches of others it's hard to view anything tragic that happens to them as anything more than their own just desserts. So, you know, where is the story here? All in all, in the heart of the sea, I think it's a serviceable effort to tell this historic story. And it's not poorly made. There's really nothing wrong with it. 
technically speaking anyway, as a movie. But it is, unfortunately, kind of a boring way to tell a tale. Perhaps if it had a little bit more art, or maybe some illusions within the story to, to help contextual, contextualize it with its not only its era, but also other, you know, why it's resonant with, uh, with Melville and Moby Dick, and why this is a story that we would need to know today. Or even just to kind of this uh, explore the sense of hubris of humankind and and all of you know all of our pursuits that meet with disaster. You kind of like the theme of Moby Dick itself. I think it would have been a little bit better than what it ends up being, and maybe even more so if it had broader themes that would be relevant to audiences today. You know, maybe tying in this. Uh, you know, this business that wants them to go out and kill these whales for their oil and tying that in as kind of a more modern day sense of corporate greed that sees the exploitation and destruction of nature in pursuit of oil and how it will end with us as humans destroying our own livelihood in the process. That could have made the entire movie a very apt environmental allegory for the folly of our current climate or, or climate, climate change, if you prefer. Uh, but unfortunately, it's just a collection of events that aren't really notable in and of themselves. Now, obviously, this is the kind of story that, uh, you know, real life events do, uh, end up being as inspiration for better interpretations in actual fictional stories. So, but you're watching a film here and you're thinking, wow, this, okay, so this presumably really happened in real life. You know, obviously, you know, with any made, you know, based on a true story film, there's going to be a lot of embellishments here and there, but if you're going to want, even if it's based on kind of a true story, then, and that story has, has, has inspired many others to write their own stories that were done infinitely better. Then why wouldn't you watch those stories? I mean, there's more nail biting suspense to be found. Oodles more in the 1975 Steven Spielberg, uh, blockbuster jaws, than there is in this film. There's more haunting artistic flourishes, uh, and many of the same thematic elements of this story you can find in Ang Lee's Life of Pi that came out just a few years ago and was, uh, was nominated for Best Picture. And as far as universally thematic resonance, why wouldn't you just take, just pick up a book and read Herman Melville's timeless epic Moby Dick? It tells this tale. And does it so much better. And you come away learning so much more, not only about the whaling industry, but also about humans and, and humanity and nature and this, this hubris and this folly of human existence and the pursuit, the mindless and madness of the pursuit of, of, uh, of destruction and how sometimes you end up destroying yourself in the process. Read Moby Dick instead because it's definitely a much better take. And even Herman Melville knew it. That's why he didn't do a, uh, a fiction, a nonfiction account of the story of the Essex. That's why he just took elements of it and made Moby Dick, because it's really a story that lends better to other stories and not really in and of itself, uh, a compelling idea for a major blockbuster movie. So unfortunately, as as technically uh, uh, adept as it is in, in terms of capturing uh, the look and feel of whaling in the uh, early to mid early nineteenth century, 
unfortunately, In the Heart of the Sea is a very dull way of presentation, and I can't really recommend it that much. So I'm going to give the film two and a half stars, which means it has all of the elements to have been a worthwhile film. And I feel it falls just short of that because it just never quite gets it all together. A better emphasis on the screenplay would have been, would have made a world of difference. Somehow just getting in there, being a little bit more artistic, being a little bit more uh, comfortable with tying in the story into anything that would have any meaning to us today would have been a, a much better choice than to just try to recapture uh, the events as it pertains in the book, um, uh, and also to frame it with this fictional device that says, oh, it's, it's a relevant story because Herman Melville's Moby Dick is relevant. And so therefore this is a story worth telling. It's just not enough, especially for a big film like this. So two and a half stars goes to In the Heart of the Sea. It is unfortunately, despite a good director, Despite a good cast, it just feels underwhelming, and I can't recommend it. Anyway, I'm sorry I couldn't report better news for In the Heart of the Sea. I'm sure it'll have its audience out there who are just looking for a good visual uh, escapism, but uh, for the most part, I think that somebody should make Moby Dick uh, into a story for today's audiences, because I think that that is what I think Ron Howard should have done, and that's what somebody in the near future should probably do because I think that that really is what we need in cinemas and not this one. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you want to write to me and let me know uh, anything, um, if you want to make any recommendations or if you, if there are any movies that you want to know my take on, or you want me to review in the future, you could, you should write to me. You can find my contact information at my website, as well as links to my Twitter feed and my Facebook page. You can go to quipster.net for all of the details, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, thank you for listening, and I hope that whenever you go to the movies, you still have a great time. <laughs>